Hi, I'm Ryan Kramer, and you've found the Drinkmakers Podcast. It's been nearly a year since we've released an episode of the podcast, and what a year it's been. If you're a new listener, our original idea for the show was to share the stories of drinkmakers, whether they be bartenders, brewers, winemakers, baristas, distillers, tea specialists, Italian soda bottlers, mineral water purveyors, you get the idea. We wanted to find out who's making what, where, how, and why, and to really explore the liquid side of gastronomy while revealing some amazing stories about the people behind what we drink. And hopefully someday in the near future, we'll return our focus more directly to that objective. In the meantime, as we continue to weather the COVID-19 pandemic that has disrupted so much of our normal lives and put the beverage industry in crisis mode, we want to check in with other professionals in the business and see what is happening on the ground to keep the industry alive and evolving to the challenges of this shared moment. In today's episode, I talk with Christy Norman. For many, Christy needs no introduction, but for those who don't know her, well, you're about to feel like a slacker. To start, at age 26, Christy is the youngest sommelier at Wolfgang Puck's Spago in Beverly Hills, a staple of fine dining in Los Angeles and home to one of the city's most extensive wine lists. They've been a Wine Spectator Grand Award recipient since 2010. That alone would be some pretty solid bona fides in our line of work, but for Christy, that's just the tip of the iceberg. In the early days of the pandemic, Christy took action and co-founded the United Sommeliers Foundation, which through donations and charity auctions has been able to raise nearly $1 million to date for sommeliers out of work or otherwise affected by the crisis. She's the creator of the online wine course, a fun, approachable, and affordable introductory course into the world of wine for everyday consumers and those interested in exploring a career in wine. She also leads the largest tasting group of LA Psalms. She's been successful at not only continuing the tasting group through the pandemic, but also expanding it. What began as a small club of around 10 of us preparing for our wine exams has grown into a community of over 300, as our blind tastings and masterclasses have moved onto digital platforms. And then just last month, Christy was named one of wine enthusiasts 40 under 40. Her social media game is strong with over 28,000 followers on Instagram. But as she says in our conversation, she's not an influencer, but a professional with influence. Her success on Instagram highlights her smart and fresh approach to wine education and marketing, an area I believe she'll continue to be a dynamo within. Best of all, everything Christy does, she does with love and the intention of lifting up her community. I'm very happy to call her a friend and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Christy Norman, today on the Drinkmakers Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Ryan. How are you? Doing very well. Long time no see, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just about once or twice a week, we <laughs> yeah, yeah. either digitally or in person get to see each other. Yeah. So good to see you, but uh, glad to get to spend a little extended time because a lot of times we're either on uh, master classes where we're not directly interacting or I'm um, just swinging by to bottle swap for those classes. So uh, I am happy to get to sit and talk with you long form for a little while. Yeah, like a, it's like a wine drive through, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's always so quick. Hi, Ryan. Bye, Ryan. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> Christy Norman, for anyone who doesn't, I think a lot of listeners will know Christy, uh, but she's she's amazing at uh, really supporting and running a lot of the LA SOM community programs that we have, especially through this time of COVID, uh, tasting group and uh, additional support things. And it's really fun. Every every Sunday, we drive over to her apartment. She's out underneath a colorful umbrella with a cooler full of small wine bottles. And uh, we return the used ones, and she gives us a new one. And so every Sunday, out for an hour, uh, it's, it's a cool a, setup. Honestly, it's, it's really nice. And it's almost like 
my therapy. Like, of course, I'm, I'm definitely glad to do this and get people's minds off of the pandemic and everything that's happening right now. But also it's, it was really nice for me because I think it was part of my identity too, is like running this group because I've been doing it for three years. So it's just like, I needed to see you guys. I needed to, to be, be with you and, and, you know, supporting, cause I still had access to the wines, you know, I could still buy wines at cost and do all that stuff. So it's, it's really nice actually to be back and I'm really happy to be able to do that for you guys. It's not like a laborious, like terrible thing. So yeah, well, many thanks. Um, and then the other thing I just want to, uh, acknowledge here up front is say congratulations. You just were able to announce a pretty big news. Christy's part of the 2020 class of wine enthusiasts, 40 under 40. It's a pretty big deal. I know. I can't believe I kept it a secret. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and following some of the other inductees, people mentioned that you've been, all been holding on to this information for a long time. Yeah. Well, for me, it wasn't quite as long because when I got the email, I thought it was a phishing scam. I didn't believe it. They sent it to like an old email address that I don't really use. And I saw it and I was like, this is weird. And then I got another like notification. And so I texted a bunch of people that have gotten 40 under 40 before. And they're like, no, it's real, Christy, like respond. I'm like, oh, so I was the last person to get our picture taken. And they had, you know, cause normally they do like some boss ass photo shoot. Everybody like they fly everybody to San Francisco and they do this thing. And so this year it was all virtual. And so I, um, I, they basically, I had my friend come over. She has like a nice iPhone and they were taking screenshots over zoom. So if you look at all the photos, they're just like slightly blurry, but still like they're edited. And I think it looks cool. The edit of mine uh, makes it look like I'm drinking orange wine. I've literally gotten so many DMS of people asking me what orange wine are you drinking? I'm like, it's not orange wine. Okay. I mean, not that there's anything against orange wine, but it's, it was a rosé, just like the color balance or whatever. Uh -huh. I've, it, I live in Silver Lake, which is a pretty hit neighborhood, you know, and, uh, every, orange, wine, orange wine neighborhood. Yeah. Yes. Very orange wine neighborhood. And <laughs> I've talked, I've talked to wine shop, you know, people that work in wine shops and they're like their sandwich board out front. They get no foot traffic unless they write orange wine inside, you know, Stop. <laughs> hysterical genius yeah. genius but yeah no honestly 40 under 40 is amazing like i'm i'm super honored to, to get have gotten it i'm the youngest person on the list i'm the only person under 30 that's what philip said i didn't i uh -huh. i wasn't like scanning but um it's really really crazy and honestly um you know i was driving in the car with one of my friends a while back. And he was like, you know, Christy, you can't do all this stuff for free. Like, what are you going to get out of it? And I was like, you know, I feel like it's going to come back to me in like one way or the other. And I feel like that was like a really nice thing, you know? Yeah. You've put a lot of good juju out into the uh, wine world and the world in general. And I think that that is the type of reward you deserve. And so I'm super excited and, and happy for it. I don't think Thanks, I know anyone that's more deserving. And so one of the things I really wanted to start with is talking about your Genesis story for getting into restaurants and wine. I don't really think I know how it all started for you. Oh um, yeah. So I was 19 and I was working at this barbecue restaurant as like a server trainer. And there was one a fancy steakhouse in town. And um, one of my friends was a hostess there. And so I asked her, how do I get hired at this fancy steakhouse? I needed to help my mom to like make more money. And I was paying my way through community college at the time. And so I was like, okay, um, I guess the GM really likes wine. That was his thing. He was like a level one Psalm. He was like extremely snooty, really tall, like just 
like the worst type of psalm like you could ever imagine, you know, like not a lot of wine knowledge, but like to flex a lot, you know. Yeah, that's and usually so, how it starts. Exactly. Yeah. So that's I started, our early days. Yeah, it's it's always like that. I and so I started picking up every book that I could about wine. I read like um, Sotheby's, Windows, um, Sotheby's, and then like Windows in the World, Zrali's. Um, yeah. Did Atlas you buy Chance Listen to Zrali when he was on Levy Dalton's podcast? No. If oh my god, go I gotta. I need to yeah. listen. It was so good, and 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 the air just at, they recorded it before COVID really happened, but it published it shortly after COVID, and and really a lot that they talked about was how to manage through tragedy, you know, because obviously Kevin Traley being at World One, yeah, Windows on the World at the World Trade Center, yeah. had had multiple attacks on that building, and multiple times that he lost, you know, staff um, in his restaurant. Um, and so it, it was just really powerful, right? When we were all going through COVID to get that episode. So wow. I highly recommend it. Oh my God. Yeah. I would love to listen to that. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah. Cause he, honestly, I recommend his book as the first book that I think anybody should read. Mm-hmm. Um, so accessible. In, in wine. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Like he, uh, and, and the fact that he's a little bit funny too. And you know, what? even Sotheby's, I don't know if you've ever like read the little, like, the annotations and stuff, but some of Sotheby's like actually has some like fun and levity to it as well. And that's what I liked about it. But for me, um, you know, I, so I was, I got hired at the steakhouse, um, as a, as a bar back, I was like uh-huh. mopping floors. We had this drink called a blueberry, like it was like a blueberry lemon drop type of thing. Uh-huh. And I just remember they would like muddle blueberries and I would be like cleaning it out of the drain like every day. And I'm like trying to, I couldn't taste anything cause I'm not 21. And so I would just be like smelling things like behind the bar. And I, I mean, I'd been doing, you know, I'd been a server since I was 16 years old. Like I was working in high volume places. Um, and actually the first job that I ever had was at a tea, a tea shop. Um, and it was like a Victorian tea kind of like girly place. And it was my favorite, favorite thing. Um, and so when you know, I decided I was starting to get into wine. My mom was like, Oh, well, that's a completely like natural progression. Like, you know, tea and wine have like so many similarities where it, you know, the level of tannin and like bitterness, like, well, there's a, you know, mind altering, you know, substance. It's not alcohol, but it's caffeine, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> different, t- different types of teas have like different, um, styles of preparation, just like wine. Like there's, and you know, um, So recommending beverages based on, you know, country of origin, variety, like those were all things that were familiar to me already. Um, But it just really was like amplified when I started learning about wine. But um, honestly, I so I got promoted to be a food runner like shortly after. I'm learning like so much about the food. Like, you know, it's funny when I mean, this was just like a little tiny like suburban town. Um, But, you know, these servers had been there for, you know, 10 years or more and they had been servers their whole life. Um, but it was clear that like, it was a point of contention with the GM that like nobody really cared about wine and they had like 400 selections that he was like really proud of. He was super into it. And so I showed interest and genuine interest and I learned a ton. Um, and so I said, you know, if I pass my first level sommelier exam, can I be a server full time? And he said, yes. And so actually in that time, he I already got promoted to be a server, but like I was working like half food running shifts and half serving and serving out would make like $400 like a night. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and it was like six hour shifts. So it was super easy. And um, yeah. And so I passed my level one. I was studying for my certified. I end up going to Woodland Hills to, um, to open up our new restaurant, our new location, right? And I'm like a manager, like assistant general manager type thing. 
<laughs> I it was one week before my certified exam. It was our soft opening. So you know, like op- if you ever opened a restaurant before, it's like a chaos, like nightmare, especially for management. But then like my certified exam was like that week, and I thought about pushing it, and I was like, no, like and you know, because I was like commuting an hour each way to work and working like ten hours, you know. And then on the soft opening, um, Sean Prevat, who was the wine director at Mastro's Thousand Oaks, like happened to walk in with his wife. And they like knew um, some Larson's people. And so they just like walked in to say hi. They didn't even have an invite. And I got introduced to him from this rep. Um, his name's Michael Popadol. And he introduced me to Sean. And Sean was like, oh my gosh, your certified exams next week. Let me help you. Let me give you a practical. And so I went to his house and he showed me all the things that I needed to know or else I wouldn't have passed. Like 100%, I would not have passed that exam. Um, I had a friend who was certified, but um, he had just moved away. And so like, I didn't really have like guidance like that. Mm-hmm. Sean like really took the time to help me blind taste. I remember he gave me a Gewurztraminer. I had no idea what it was. It was the first time I'd ever had a Gewurztraminer before. Um, you know, cause he has tons of wines and he corvins and stuff. And so like, uh-huh. you were like, you were like, I think you accidentally poured your wife's perfume. Yeah. I was like, it tastes <laughs> like lychee, you know, cause I grew up in Japan and I would eat lychees like all the time. And uh-huh. so like, it was such a familiar flavor. And so, but I had never like associated that with a Gewurztraminer cause I barely even knew what it was like if I saw the word I probably would have like understood it but you know um but yeah no I I went to Vegas um you know a week later or whatever passed my certified exam um I was 21 um still I know it's crazy well you know what it like really shows though I think like that I don't think that there is enough like preparedness to give somebody the resources to be able to pass that exam without knowing somebody. So I think it's very important to like, just see that you need to, to know, <laughs> like yeah. um, you, you need to, you need to work with people that have passed in order to pass. And that's why, you know, with my wine education stuff, like that's why I'm always trying to bring advanced people and masters and stuff like that it's like yeah it's cool to have a master come teach a class but it's more of just like knowing them that's that's the reason like absolutely because for me i was you know really diving into beverage back when i was in chicago still working there and kind of had a similar like agm position where i was doing the buying and we were trying to uh build up the sake program so i my first certification in beverage was a certified sake professional but I was learning a lot, ton about wine at the same time, particularly by having the reps come through and yeah, they taste us on sakis, but also on wines. And um, we had sommeliers in the restaurant group, but entering the CMS or like finding any like educational path, like no one that I was working with there was really pointing towards anything like that. And so it just seemed, it seemed like a black box I didn't know how to get into. You know, totally. like, how do I, how, how do I enter this world? And then once I got to LA and start working at 71 above and I'm, you know, Catherine and Christian and Missy were all working there and they all were part of it. You do, you have to know somebody who's already been in the program and, you know, it's as easy as going online and, you know, paying the money and picking the course, you know, to do your intro. But until you really know people that have done it, it's hard to make those steps. It's hard to feel confident. Um, and so it's absolutely true that you, you know, it, it, it's on us, those ha- that have made some of the journey uh, to help the people find the path when they're interested, but they don't know exactly where that's at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the certification programs could do a better job for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Oh, yeah, ultimately, I do think it's up to us and it's it's up to us on the ground level because we do. It's like crazy because L.A. is so spread out, but we're such a huge city with so many wine professionals. You know, I have like over 370 people on my roster now that are like wine professionals or like actively studying for a certification. It's crazy. And all That's I mean, crazy. some people I mean, there's like a couple people that come from like Anaheim and like Santa Barbara. But for the most part, everybody is like here, you know, like yeah. in this in this box of like a 10 mile radius or whatever. And it's it's insane. And, you know, we have all of the tools and resources to like help each other. And you know how long it, you know how long it takes to, do, you know, give somebody a little practical exam or sit down with them, give them advice. Like it's no big deal. I don't know why so many people get like all weird about it. Like oh, like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to help other people. It's like, why? I don't understand. Yeah. That's why I try to, that's why like, I try to make it like as easy as possible for the mentors, you know? Yeah. Like, I just like, I'll t let me take you for a day. You come and hang out, teach everybody. You get this like, you know, you get a, a ton of people all in one day. So it's like, you're maximizing like your efforts, if that makes sense. I feel like this is something we're addressing right now as a planet and as in our own communities or whatever, but is, is access, you know, giving people access so they have those opportunities. And I think something that's exists in this kind of professional wine world is that you're like, even once you're a certified some, you're still not seen as ready. Like, yeah. okay, you're certified. You're, you're, you're in the club, but you're not a spokesperson yet. Like you have to get a step or two further. Like, don't, yeah. don't go out there and act like you can, speak about wine you're someone that i think was like fuck that i'm not waiting for anyone to give me permission to create opportunities for people to to guide people into this world and to find my voice i don't need i don't need a, a green or a master pen to have a voice yeah um so when i was um I think it was the first time I ever taught that introduction to blind tasting class. So I teach like a regurgitation of Anthony and Selmy's like blind tasting method. Um, and I use it as like an introduction to the group because it kind of gives people a baseline on like how blind tasting works, like kind of the theory behind it in like certain ways. Um, and it kind of like makes it a little bit easier. Right. And so I just remember um, I had a huge imposter syndrome. Like I've talked about this before, but like I really did not feel like a real song. I mean, I was in Spago fucking crying, um, you know, when when I first started there, because it's so difficult when you have so many choices, like even though I was reading about the wines and I was doing my best, like there's only so much you can absorb. And we had like mm -hmm. 4000 selections. You know what I mean? And it's like yeah, I. No, yeah, I was such a perfectionist and I wanted to find the right wine, but it was just hard because it's like you have so many options that it like puts you into paralysis sometimes. And so it took like several years, like really it took, it was probably like two and a half, three years before I really felt comfortable. You know, it's yeah. only been, you know, and, and honestly, I feel like when I would speak about wine um, and I was doing these little like YouTube videos for beginners is called adulting with alcohol. Like they were uh -huh. just comedy, like wine education mixtures. Oh yeah, and I've, I've gone back through your your reels <laughs> and, and checked out some of uh, some of your previous work. Um, well, honestly, I, I realized that like I speak to certain people, just like you speak to certain people. Like some people don't want to listen to me, and that's fine. But like to a small audience of people they listen to how I communicate things or whatever. And I'm pretty, and actually, you know, doing beginner education is, is very difficult because it's very difficult to generalize about wine. So I think that's why most people don't do it because it's super daunting, you know, to actually mm -hmm. like delve in. But the first time I ta taught that introduction of blind tasting class, 
there was a guy in there who was making a ton of money, like doing deals, like basically buying wines for clients and stuff like that. And when I, I mean, I would chit chat with him and he was a level one CMS. I think saw him, he like passed his exam like a few years before and he spoke to people like he was a master and he didn't know shit. And I was like, damn. And he's this 45 year old guy. And like, he's, you know, been a lawyer, he's had a career or whatever. And I was just looking at him and I was like, you know, nothing like really, I mean, I'm just yeah. like, really, but his vibe was that he knew everything. And that's how he got, got all this money. And I was like, and it, for me, it wasn't about the money, but it was just like, oh, I can channel that into myself because I do know more than most people. And a lot of guests that come into the restaurant, it's like, yeah, they might know, know more about wine than I do as a whole, but I know more about my list, you yeah. know? And so, and it, as, as long as, you know, I'm doing the best that I can, I always ask for support for the first two years, honestly. And I, and I feel that too, even if I go to a restaurant and it's not necessarily a place that has a dedicated sommelier and it's just even, you know, if I get a sense that the server knows the wine, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to rely Ask. on them to yeah. guide me. It's like, it's I, your list. Like, yeah. Like, do, do you show me what's exciting here? You know? Yeah. Honestly, I wish that, uh, you know, this is just a fantasy of mine, but I, I feel like I wish that, you know, the exam actually catered to what your restaurant is. Like, I think it would be really cool for them to get your wine list and get the experience of your restaurant. Like, I don't know, because yeah. you know, when you're getting, when you're walking into the, some of these exams and they're asking you to all of a sudden serve wine in a French restaurant, like, I don't think everybody should be trained necessarily on how to do fine dining. Actually, I don't think it's even really necessary right now, like, especially mm -hmm. with the state of the world and how the economy is and stuff. Like, it's going to be a very challenging time. It's like, is fine dining like really necessary at this moment? Do we need to be teaching our Psalms to do white tablecloth training, you know, when, you know, 99% of the population can't afford that right now? Um, you know, and I would much rather be a great retail psalm. So let me tell you the story. I was actually cut from an article and it was talking about what it means to be a modern sommelier. And my answer was like, I believe that if you are somebody that's helping other people purchase wine, select wines, um, even if that is online, you know, curating subscription boxes, or if you are in retail or whatever, I think that's a sommelier. And there were a lot of like, you know, big wig psalms in there that have you know, they're like celebrity psalms and they all said, no, you must be in a restaurant. No, you must be in a restaurant, you know? And I think that's really sad because, you know, when everybody lost their job, it was like a huge part of their identity is, was missing. And yeah. that's why, that's really why I wanted to to do tasting group again, because everyone seems so lost. You know? Yeah. Obviously you have a lot of options for what you do going forward with wine. You have that, you know, the educational work that you do. You know, the 40 under 40 is a great, you know, launch pad to, and you, you already have your hands all over the place. Do you see returning to restaurants as something that's likely that you're determined to do? Or is it something that you might, I think a lot of people are feeling like, well, that might, restaurants might not be what I go back to. I need to be around people who are about like, you know, maximizing like whatever you're trying to do. I like, um, you know, creating the most win-wins as possible and like actually doing something good and like meaningful and impactful. Whereas like, 
So for me, I don't think it would be fulfilling to, to do that right now, just because like the other things that I do have my hands in, even though I don't necessarily make money from it, like I'm hoping to monetize some of the master classes and stuff that'd be mm-hmm. dope. Um, just to help me like pay my rent and stuff. For and sure. then it'll still be free for you guys, you know, and stay. And I obviously I'm going to do it with integrity and make sure they're actually things that we want to learn about and like, not just like a sales thing, you know, but, um, for me now that I have seen things like on a very macro scale, cause I obviously like, I love being in a restaurant. Like it's my, I mean, that's what I've done for the last 10 years. Like yeah. I'm 26 now, you know, I've done it for so long, man. And I love it. But ultimately like my mind wanders now because there's Mm -hmm. so many things that now especially have been brought to my attention of like the inequities of our wine system that we have. Um, You know, there's so many people, you know, that I want to be able to help and support and create programs for. And so it's like when my mind is like um, when my mental energy is like being used for something, um, I can't think about those big picture things as much. And so it would just be a constant struggle. I think like I need to go on my own. You know, I just uh, Mm -hmm. turned down a great job and that was a really difficult decision for me because I don't know how (laughs) I'm going to make things work, but it always works out. So (laughs) something you said a little bit ago was that it's really hard to generalize about wine and kind of preparing for talking to you. I pulled a couple quotes that you had in that punch drink article uh, where you were in conversation with Jerka. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you said was you're talking about like the adulting with alcohol. I started making these low budget YouTube videos that were a mixture of wine education and comedy, but I realized that I needed to build vocabulary from the ground up. And I think that's really interesting. And, and it kind of ties into saying it's really hard to generalize about wine. So how did you approach that? Um, okay. So when I, in that quote that I'm talking about, um, it's so interesting because wine people really loved my videos, but people who actually didn't know anything about wine didn't understand all of the jokes and some of the humor that I had. And so I realized, oh, if I don't, I, I can't explain in every single video what the word dry you know, means to us, right? There's certain key things and concepts that you have to understand for it to actually make sense and for you to get the most of the the education. Like I had the funny ones where they were just like straight funny. Like I had this one called the 10 commandments of wine, which is like probably my favorite video. And I'm talking and it's like this thing where I do my like top 10, like rules that I have about wine and they teach like little mini lessons and they're all kind of contained. But in terms of like a broad overview and like general knowledge of wine, like I needed to begin at a place and that's not, um, you know, it's not scary for somebody and to just be able to say like this, um, you know, this is, this is wine. Like this is the definition of wine. There's no fruits in it. And really moving from the very most basic, because, you know, I hear people that just make fun of consumers all the time. And like, I've made fun of consumers as well. So I'm not excluding myself from that. But I just think like, dang, like if we're not doing anything to actually like help people understand it, then we're not going to have that many wine drinkers, you know? And like, it's cool. Cause after people like take my course, like I, one of my friends who is like in the film industry, she texted me a picture of her buying a bottle of Saturn at the store. 
And and then this other girl like had a Pinot Gris or something. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, it's so cool, you know? And people send me messages all the time like, oh, I got this wine job, you know, at this like wine shop in Chicago or whatever, or I'm going to take my level one. So many people tell me they're going to take their like ex wine exams because it's really meant to be like a jumping off point for people to, to be the, the, the bridge that I wish that I had because I'm a really good studier. And so I'll just you know, just go, 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 reading, reading, reading. But in terms of like the concepts, I didn't get it. Even after I was a Psalm, I was a certified Psalm, but I didn't understand mm -hmm. the concept of like the champagne method. Like I didn't mm -hmm. get it. I got it. I could define things, but it's a different thing to experience it. You know what I mean? I, like, I always think of like every time, cause you know, you, and you go back and study things again and again, I always think it's a little bit like on detective shows where they're like enhance the picture you know yeah. enhance and every year you go back and revisit you know uh, the piedmont in italy and the first time you know first time when i was studying for intro enhance you know a little bit you know then when you're studying for certified enhance and things start sticking more and then you you know i'm going at it again and each time this what is a fuzzy picture starts having texture and shape and and start sticking in there. But yeah, you have to, it's not something you can just be like, you know, you, you hope, oh, I'm going to go to a master class on the wines of the Savoy, of the Savoy. And I'm going to walk away knowing everything I need to know about, you know, like, no, that master class is going to give you some cool foundation. Yeah, but um, it's a bridge, you know? Uh -huh. and we need that though. Like, it's like an onion. That's what I try to tell people. It's like learning about wine is literally like an onion and it just keeps going and then you, you cry sometimes and it's fine. Uh -huh. you know? but like, but there's always more, there's more layers. And so like, I actually had um, uh, an illustrator. She's like a cartoonist and she, the, uh, she did several things in the wine course um, to illustrate different processes. But like specifically for me, the difference um, between like actually how tank method works. Like I did mm -hmm. not understand how it actually works. And then when she drew it, like actually, cause I was writing it down, but it just never stuck until I actually like created that. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like to actually see how everything is, you know? Yeah. Um, I just think about how with food and, and the culinary arts, how far we've come since 10 to 15 years ago how people are even comfortable dining and, and just the kind of explosion and people's recognition of food culture and the diversity within it. And I fully believe that wine can follow, not just wine, but beverage, you know, uh, can follow in that path and really become much more accessible and something that even if you're not studying it or following it, you still have a kind of cultural awareness and, and appreciation for it. Yeah, well, I mean, millennials aren't drinking as much wine and it's just declining. And so we need to act quickly because there's a lot of commerce that depends on people drinking wine. And so um, what's funny is like how I mean, I, I, I like bringing up that article, like I got so much hate from the wine industry, like people were angry. They made memes about me and stuff. I mean, it was just like ridiculous because they were saying. Oh, um, oh, in that in the punch drink article, I mentioned how like I got a bunch of hate for the wine program. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I think I'm not discouraging other people from making a wine program like, okay, I'm an influencer. Like, no, I'm a professional that has influence, first of all. But second, um, it's like, you know, I, I couldn't believe like, how I mean, I guess people are just going to be bitter or whatever. If, if, when someone's doing anything, when a young woman who's a person of color does anything, it's a problem. Yeah.
like, it's just so interesting because like, we all should be doing that because we all work in our own spaces. And imagine if every single sommelier took five hours a week to teach other people, mm-hmm. like how many fucking wine consumers there would be yeah. on this planet. If we all took a couple minutes of our day to actually teach people in our network that aren't in the wine industry, I think that would be very helpful. That's why yeah. I, I think we should all hang out with non wine industry people. Our friends in our real lives should be non wine industry. Cause it's like, you know, you're bringing that whole world into, into somebody else's sphere. And I think yeah. And, and, yeah. and that was another quote that I kind of pulled that, uh, you know, you already kind of spoke on it, but you say, you know, our industry should reflect the country that we live in. And I think we succeed in doing that. We're going to increase the consumption of wine and the money people are going to make. And I think it's absolutely true. The more we can grow this pot, grow this world, we're all going to live better lives in it. Yeah. Well, honestly, like people will pay $22 for a cocktail for four of them, but they won't spend $50 on a bottle of wine. It makes no sense. It literally makes no sense because it probably, it might be way better than your cocktail. You know what I mean? And you all get to be in that shared experience. You're all drinking the same bottle of wine. Like it's a different vibe, you know? And um, we haven't done a good enough job of connecting with consumers. And so, yeah, I think there, everybody should see themselves in the wine industry and seeing them successful in the wine industry. Which is why I'm glad if, you know, if it wasn't for what I've actually done, I think wine enthusiasts did a, a good job in, in choosing a lot of their candidates this year. I was very honored to be part of that group because they, you know, cho- choosing me was a statement. I'm sure there's a lot of people in the country that are doing things, but choosing somebody, you know, um, Tahira, I think Tahira. Um, but her photo is just so beautiful. And that was like a huge mm-hmm. statement for them to make. And I'm glad um, yeah, that they that did awesome. that. I'm really glad that they did that. And that's something I wanted to talk to too, because that's obviously something that fits into what we're talking about with, we want as many people getting involved as wine as, and into wine as possible. It's apparent as it is with so many other of our systems in society that wine is another thing that has been exclusionary, that has had gatekeepers. And you talk about how you have to be deliberate with getting people in. It's not just as simple as saying, hey, I'm open to it. You have to be deliberate. You have to reach out in good faith and with the right, in the right way. You have to, you have to be Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So it's like, if you're playing dodgeball and like, you've always just been playing dodgeball and like thought nothing of it, but there's somebody like in the corner that was like pushed out and like beaten or something like, so that they can't play, you know, you can't just expect this to, when you say like, Hey, yo, come over, play with us. They're going to say yes immediately. You know, it's like a very like awkward defensive thing. And it's like a lot of these, you know, certification programs and other structures that we have, like have often been like very racist. And like, I've experienced racism. And it's like, you know, people forget, I think like people, I don't know, I, when I go somewhere that's wine related, yes, there's a chance I might see somebody, but usually I feel like I don't like unless it's like in LA, but let's say I go up to like a tasting room or something. It's like the the level of like, why are you here? kind of vibes like you know me and like who I am and what I do like if there's anybody who should go into a tasting room and like be actually like respected and like you know have my hand shook like say hello you know I I mean I've I've had a lot of 
I mean, people have apologized for how they treated me. Um, yeah, you and walk I, in like, and, and they just... Yeah, they, they just treat me really poorly. And then they find out, you know, somebody says, oh, have you met Christy? And they realize, you know, where I work or whatever. And it's a totally different conversation. And and I think it's not their fault. So, like, people are just inherently racist. I think we all are, unfortunately. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, there's inherent qualities in that in all of us. One thing that I think happens too often in service industry is that we are encouraged to anticipate needs of the guest. And I think anticipating needs has a very thin line between that and stereotyping. That is a great point. Actually, I was just talking to my friend, um, Julia Connie. She's an amazing activist. Mm-hmm. We don't follow her I was going to say, yeah, I know. Yeah, she's um, so a great writer too. We, yeah, we were talking on the phone um, and she was telling me about her experiences with racism because basically I like blocked out a whole day and I said like make appointments with me and Julia made an appointment with me, which I was like the queen of the world, literally. Uh-huh. Made an appoint- I can't even like, it blows my mind. So she's telling me that like when she would go to like, you know, she's going to like review a restaurant or whatever she's doing and literally the server has come over and said, oh, here's the sweet wine page. Like she asked for the wine list and they say, oh, here's the sweet wines. And it's like, I could understand like if that was the experience that that person had, they were probably trying to be just a good server, you know, Uh, but that's exactly what you're talking about. Like it's, it's not okay. We can't be doing that. We, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and we have to just constantly, you know, use our critical thinking skills and a a little bit of a heightened awareness of, Cause imagine like she doesn't ever want to go to that restaurant again. Yeah. Even if she's a foodie, you know, that drinks great wine and spends money on wine. Like I would never want to go there if somebody kind of said that to me, you know, it turns you off. Like when I go, like I went to my local wine shop, like here on Ventura Boulevard, like super close. And they were just like, uh, I asked if they had white Bordeaux and they said, Oh, white Bordeaux, Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon. Uh, and they started telling me about white Bordeaux and I was like, Oh, okay. Like for sure. And then I was like, I was asking specifically if they had an oaked, you know, thing and they had no idea, but they just kept like spewing information to me and uh-huh. like, they have no idea. You know what I mean? And that's fine. And that's fine. Like, I know that, you know, I'm not somebody who typically looks like they're a wine professional. So I just deal with it. I'm not offended by it. But yeah. it is like annoying. How often do you, how often do you, because I always feel a little bit, because uh, I feel like it's almost nicer to be like, I do work in wine. So you can have a slightly elevated like conversation with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. And it's like, we don't need to talk to people like they're stupid. But that's the thing, too. It's like, that's why I made the wine course, because... At Spago, that's not the place where I'm going to educate my guests. Yeah. They need to be educated before they walk in the door so that I can give them a seamless experience and meet them wherever they're at. But because like I I can't correct, you know, the vice president of Disney in front of all of his subordinates that, you know, Shibley is white and not red, you know. Yeah. I mean, I can't I not that that specifically happened but something similar to that happened and you can't you can't do that and you shouldn't embarrass people you shouldn't talk to them like they're children you just you know have a conversation with them but uh yeah no people talk to me like I'm a child but I'm buying wine all the time and it just like cracks me up and I just I honestly like don't want help usually like I just yeah as I say and so do you yeah so I guess my question was how often do you drop that you're a wine professional because I, I i'll feel myself in that situation where they're like work in the shop but don't care too much about wine or whatever and uh to just kind of be like you can stop i i'm gonna just peruse <laughs> i don't actually i'm i just let them go 
Um, I just let them go because I, I honestly, I feel like if somebody did that to me, I would feel uncomfortable. And so yeah. I, and it's, I, I think before when I was like a little bit more insecure with my knowledge, I definitely have just like been like, can you, do, can you stop? I'm actually a wine professional. But what uh-huh. I got was like, but, and I'm not saying you do it like that, but I did it in a way that was like a very like defense mechanism, like offended. And now I'm just like not offended anymore at all. And I just like yeah. want to let them go. And like, if they want to talk about what makes them happy, I just like yeah, let them yeah, talk. Yeah. Oh, I, and I think it's I think it's super fun to yeah I want to like hear how to do it you know yeah exactly it's it's educational and it gets to be on the other side of it um, I think if I do it it's usually in like you can have a higher level conversation with me if you'd like to um, but I got the what? basics you know I don't know just if like invite and then and then if not that's fine but if so then maybe you know, they have something really cool and geeky to tell me. Yeah. I actually had to, I like did this leadership program and like, and like emotional intelligence, like workshops and stuff. And like, that was actually like one of the topics of things that I like chose to, to t- go around because I was like, why am I so angry that people don't know that I'm a wine professional or like, they don't treat me like, like I know anything about wine because even when I say I'm a wine professional, they would not dumb it. They would, they would keep it very dumbed down even still. And like, they don't understand. And so I would get frustrated anyway. And so I'm like, well, why, you know, maybe I'm just worried about my like time being wasted. Maybe usually I drop it in later and I feel like that's much more impactful. And I've just, you know, like, and actually, uh, the little kid at the wine shop that was doing that to me, he's joining our next class because um, because he didn't know that much. You know what I mean? And I knew. And yeah. so it was, and it, you know, slowly through our conversations, every time I go to the wine shop, he started to realize, like, what do you do? Why why are you picking these wines? You know what I mean? And it's, it's cute. And I feel like um, I, yeah, honestly, it's such an unexpected thing. I think it's different for you because I feel like you're a white guy. And so yeah. you might actually be a wine professional. But when people look at me, like I still, after I say one time I'm a wine professional, it doesn't register. And they're like, oh, well, maybe she's like a, a Stella Rosa, like ambassador girl or something, right? Like that's yeah. like, I, I don't know. Like, no, I like really like have studied this for a long time. Like I do. I, like, I, you know. Yeah, as 71 <laughs> above, I, I work with two female wine professionals that have been doing it longer than me, you know, Missy and Catherine. And I have the easiest job there because nobody questions uh, me. Yeah. Mi- mi- and Missy and even Catherine, I think Catherine has a little bit more of a, uh, she seems like the boss, you know, because she yeah, is the boss. Has, well, she has boss bitch vibes. Uh huh. And a lot of the biggest wine people, uh, you know, that come through the restaurant already know her and respect her or whatever. But yeah, I definitely see the difference between uh, people don't, I, no one ever challenges me. I don't ever have anyone trying to like one upmanship me on knowledge or anything like that. Like people put themselves in my hands happily. Um, something that Missy not on frequently gets. Uh, at 71 above when someone requests the psalm and she approaches the table is you're the psalm and guess how many times I've gotten that zero yeah you know yeah and that's something I don't I don't deal with no one ever goes you're the psalm yeah I've gotten it dozens and dozens (laughs) yeah Yeah. and honestly like I used to get really upset about it like when I was younger, like when oh, I was 21, I, I, 22. And it's like, you know, cause like you're working so hard. I've learning, mm-hmm. I was learning so much. Like I probably was more knowledgeable back then. Cause you just forget shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like in the hardcore study mode and I was so offended, you know, 
but I just realized that like, there's no, there's no use in it, you know? And the thing that I can do is just get them a wine that they're going to love yeah. and show them, you know, like there's nothing. That's hospitality, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and you know, being a female working as a SOM is just terrible. A lot of the times, like I've been sexually assaulted, like touched and stuff. And, and it's not that bad at Spago, but like, you know, like those things exist. Like you're working in alcohol, you know, you got to have a thick skin, unfortunately. And I don't know, I would, yeah. I wish I had stepped up and said more than I did. Cause a lot of things I hid from the other guys, cause I was embarrassed about it. But I do think that it's important that we talk about those things yeah. because it does happen. And, you know, I think that we should speak up in the moment when it happens instead of just internalizing it, which is what I did. Cause I didn't want them to think that I did something wrong or maybe I was flirting with them and I created it and I didn't want to seem like I was a problem, but it's a problem with the guests. Yeah, it is. And we do need to speak up about it. We need to stand up for each other when it happens. I think I have just about two more things I kind of want to dive in uh, with you. And so one of them is revisiting, talking about language around wine and on the education side, we covered a lot of that of how you kind of built a language from the ground up and kind of found a way to maybe start trying to generalize so that consumers could understand things. But I think we're also, you know, there's talk of like decolonizing wine language or, or just making it so it's not so coded and uh, insider versus outsider. And I wonder what you think the approaches that we might take in order to make that more open so this is the thing. The vocabulary that was created around wine, like, was mostly all white people, correct? Like, and so there are terms and uh, aromas that people are familiar with, like, for the most part. Um, however, I will say that I think the, the whole point of these wine terms and, like, these definitions or whatever of, uh, of what a wine tastes like is really just to create like a universal language. So like when you're reading my tasting note online, you'll taste the same things. And it's really just about like evening the playing field. And the way that I feel about that, because actually one of the girls that I'm mentoring, her name's Kasana. She's wonderful. She's in Brooklyn. Um, she's from the Caribbean. And so part of her like passion and what she wants to do is to bring, um, you know, Caribbean uh, Caribbean food with wine and do pairings and stuff like that. And she's like, Christy, sometimes like, you know, I taste these other tropical fruits and stuff like that. And what I tell her is like, there's nothing wrong with that. Say mm -hmm. it. Because it reminds ultimately, me of, hmm? it reminds me of uh, what is his name? Olivier uh, Humbrecht mm -hmm. talked about, he said, I would never tell somebody I taste, taste lychee in a wine again, because I was telling someone from Southeast Asia that I tasted lychee and they go, what, what variety? There's 200 types of lychee, you know? Wow, so I, because I yeah. Just, uh, yeah, that's, but, that's amazing. Uh -huh. like, I think, um, and, and I think that as more diversity happens in the wine industry, our terms will be decolonized just naturally. Because yeah. I'll tell you an example. I don't know if you know Peter Nelson, but he mm -hmm. and I would taste together um, at Paul Sherman's house. And he's, you know, gone for his master many times. Like he's an awesome taster, amazing guy. And I just remember that I had like left the tasting group for like a couple months and he kept saying this thing. He kept saying pistachio all on everything like pistachio and tomato leaf. I swear on like every single red wine. And I've like never heard of somebody saying pistachio. I've always pronounced it pistachio, but he said like that was the correct pronunciation and that's how you're supposed to say it or whatever. And I come back and there's like all these new people. Right. And they're all saying pistachio on everything. 
And I swear. And so I really just feel like it's whoever has privilege, has, you know, like the most knowledge or whatever. And I think, you know, if we have more, um, you know, black wine professionals, if we have people from other countries that are really diversifying our language in our space, because if somebody, you know, smells a Rambutan or whatever, instead of a lychee, and being able to differentiate those things, you know, like, just like the way that we'll go to the farmer's market and smell rosemary versus thyme, like, yeah. and being able to correctly identify those things. Like what if people needed to identify more tropical fruits as global warming starting to happen? I think that those tropical fruits are going to become much more important. And, you know, we, uh, as well, I'm half white, but like I, I didn't grow up eating a ton of tropical fruits. I was in Japan. So we had the kind of like different stuff, but yeah, I think that um, our terms will just naturally change as we have more diverse people. And as long as we can all communicate, that's what matters, you uh, know, and, and even white people, I feel like right now go all the, on these esoteric little like words, like why, like shop it, shop at Ralph's, not at Whole Foods, you know, uh -huh. like in terms of like the terms, like just say yellow apple. Like, I don't need to know like say, what kind and, of variety, and, you know, and you, you, you watch me blind taste, uh, quite a bit. And I think I try to, you know, like as far as like if I'm blinding or tasting that way, I try to keep a pretty, a pretty small box of descriptors. Don't, you know, like, and you try to find like for each wine, one or two fun terms that maybe get a little more fanciful, but really you're talking about what kind of climate are you perceiving in the wine and what uh, wine making techniques are you perceiving in the wine and describing flavors that come off that. Um, and that's kind of aside, I guess a little bit. The other thing I think about language is, I try to also sometimes move away from the tasting note entirely. And I think it's fun to talk about wines as emotions or experiences, like emotions and experiences that they remind you of. And then also talk about it as an evocation of place. Like I think of Albarino, you know, like it, it feels like the green coast of Spain when you're drinking Albarino. And it feels like you're could go fishing that day, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to put it. See, I'm like, my mind works really differently with wine. And like, I don't normally associate like places or time or whatever. It's more about just like what's in the glass. And I think like, when like before, when I was younger, I was really trying to find the right words and the right descriptors. And it's like now, I mean, you know, after you've been doing it for so long, it's like, you can really just like let the glass speak to you. And the more diverse foods and stuff that we eat, like our, that will increase our diverse vocabulary and stuff. But as long as people, you know, as long as you can understand what people are saying in their tasting notes, like I am totally fine. I've never told anybody that they're wrong for, you know, smelling or tasting something. Maybe it's something I wouldn't normally say, but like, mm -hmm. you're not wrong, you know? <laughs> this is yeah. pears. No, it's apples. Well, it's just interesting because it's like, you know, the Coca-Cola flavor um, in like gummies, for instance. So have you ever had those like gummies at the store yeah. and they taste like little Coke bottles? Yep. Well, it's like different flavors and like different brands like taste differently of those little gummy candies, you know, just like Coke and Pepsi taste different. And I feel like people associate a certain smell, like let's say like black pepper with Syrah. But like, mm -hmm. what if that morphed into like, I don't know, charred barbecue or something? I don't mm -hmm. know. Like, you know, what if it, it turned into something else? And as long as everyone's on the same page, yeah, whatever, like who, who cares? You know, like I, I, I honestly, as long as we're all speaking the same thing, that's all that matters. So I'm all about like new wine terms and decolonizing and stuff. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, and then the last question I, I've 
like to ask is, do you think there's any positive positivity that's going to come out of kind of this, obviously, in most ways, destructive and horrible crisis that we're living through? But is there any silver lining you can point to? Or any hope that you have for the future? Yeah, I mean, like, it really, it really just illuminated, like, how we just don't have any, like, safety, kind of, like, we, we just don't have good infrastructure in place that supports our people as people. We have tons of educational resources, but nothing to help humans. I'm not saying that the United Somalias Foundation can solve all of those things. Um, but I think that, that there's obviously a lot of work to be done in terms of, like, job boards, like where we get all of our, you know, information, um, uh, having a support network, mental health resources, resources for money, like grants, you know, programs, like assistance. Um, I think that there needs to be more scholarships and like grants given to Psalms that want to do entrepreneur, entrepreneurial things. Because I, I believe that everybody should start having a side hustle at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's it's great to get $1,200 to put towards your next exam, but how cool would it be to get $2,000 to get you started on a business or whatever you're doing. And um, I'm really glad that it kind of like pushed the wine industry into the social media age in a, in a way um, because people were very resistant to it. And it's just so funny because like, I'm, uh, I'm more honestly part of like the regular mainstream world, but like, uh, but obviously I have a lot of wine people and it's so funny because like the trends that happen in like the real world in a way that a non-wine industry, it always happens later in the wine industry. And like people are really slow to like catch on, but they do. And so like, I think that, um, you know, our wine industry has a lot of growing and catching up to do. And we have a lot of archaic racist like views that we hold, you know, like the fact that, you know, just using myself as an example, like I did a bikini competition and people like to call me a slut and do all this stuff. But honestly, and like, it doesn't bother me anymore because like I've dealt with this, like, unfortunately for a long time. But like, imagine if like a makeup influencer or something posted a picture in a bikini or like somebody in another type of space. It's like, so not as conservative, like we're almost as conservative as like tech, you know, which is so crazy because it's like, we're not saving lives we're literally just serving wine and we like it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that everyone should be reflected in the wine industry. And it's like, if there's a little girl that looks up to somebody and sees me and says, Oh, well, you know, you don't have to, you know, act like a dude and, you know, you can be silly and you can still have a high level of wine knowledge, you know, and that's, it's all okay. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And I look forward to uh, the, the better world we'll get to inhabit as we, as, more diversity sets in and as we all do our part in that work to make sure that we have this really diverse ecosystem and and a wine world that can yeah if some people want the white tablecloth experience they'll still seek that but we'll have a lot more different experiences happening a lot of people enjoying wine in different and new ways and i think that's gonna be super cool and i agree with you i think that's going to be some of what we see as the positive fallout from this moment. Yeah, I think that um, it can all be positive. Like, yeah, this sucks. Like, we're going to have to shift in some ways. But I think that this is a tremendous learning opportunity. And it's also really shown me like the 
type of people that are going to like rise to the occasion or not. And again, it's not a judgment thing. Like I, if somebody wants to just hide and bake sourdough all the time, like I'm not judging them because everybody deals with this differently, but it was good to see like who is building something through this, like who is trying to create or bring some sort of innovation into our space. Cause there's like, honestly, it's just like when I'm looking at people who maybe I would want to hire in the future, like whatever, you know, like I, I see, um, a lot of brilliant human beings and that was cool to see, you know, I, I know who I want on my team, you Uh know, when we're building stuff. And I also got to see that like a lot of people aren't in their shit either. You can, you can feel bad about it and, but that's not going to do anything. And so if you're a, a leader, like you're somebody that we need right now to be creating, because there's a lot of people, most people are, wanting to hide and there's nothing wrong with that and it's okay i was also depressed but i i just am i somebody called me a dalmatian one time because dalmatians were like they would um i guess like back in the horse and carriage days where there's like the firefighters like dalmatians would like go with them because they were just like super chill and like really chaotic like stressful situations and i think like i like internalized a lot of it but i just work like through it like a fucking horse just that's just who i am and whenever Mm -hmm. there's like a massive crisis like this is what i always do like i always just like dive in like head first and i I was really repressing myself a a lot before and what i realized this time with creating the charity is that like you gotta request support like i obviously in the, in Los Angeles, you know, I'm really respected, but to the outside wine community, like not so much. And so if I had tried to do the things that I was doing, but alone, I would not have succeeded. And the internet and zoom conferences makes people very accessible. Um, and it really shows like I built, you know, USF with a team from all over the country. Nobody's in the same location. And yeah. I, I was sitting in my little studio apartment and we built this and like, think about what other people could create in their own mm-hmm. apartments. And like, we have all the access and the resources. Yeah, you know? and, I, and I think that that's, I've found myself in the same place where it's like, can't sit on my hands anymore. I can't just wait this out, see what's gonna happen. It's like, gotta start doing some stuff. And, and you know what, it's actually exciting and, and there's a lot to do. There um, is a lot to do. Yeah. But, but honestly, dude, like our masterclass calendar is going to be booked. Like we're still doing blind tastings. Like mm-hmm. honestly, it's going to continue. I feel like we're going to be doing this at least until March of next year. Like I'm oh, yeah. booking out to like November already. Like, Ash- <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ashley's uh, working from home until at least next June. Her company said, wow, no one's returning to office until at least next June. So we're, we're looking at maybe a our apartment doesn't get a lot. We don't have any outdoor space. We don't get great sun. So we're like, she's like, if I'm working from home for another year, we might need to considering a move and stuff like that. Yeah. We're spending so much time here. I I don't know if we've even mentioned since we've been recording what the USF is and then also the online wine course. And so I want to give you opportunity to just kind of talk about those two things that you're. Oh yeah. Well, I mean the wine courses that the thing I created, it's, it's basically takes a complete novice through everything that the average consumer should know in about three to six hours at their own pace. Like start and stop when you want. There's quizzes, there's a comprehensive exam, there's a worksheet with every single video. So like more than 60 worksheets. Um, and it's helpful and it's just like a springboard and it costs one tenth of the price of, uh, the introductory level exams for others, like real wine certifications, but it's more of just, um, you know, something that you would want to give to someone 
or some have somebody take it that's interested in wine but doesn't know where to start. Like that's that's the the ideal person. Yeah, no, it's and it's been amazing, and I'm so glad that I'm doing it. We actually just like revamped the whole site and like uh, created a new homepage. It's really beautiful. I'm really happy mm-hmm. with it, and so we're finally starting to run Facebook ads on it, which I've never done before. So um, I'm just basically spending all my money on ad budgets and stuff. But um, the United Sommeliers Foundation was the charity that Chris Blanchard and I founded um, at the beginning of COVID. So I think it was on on St. Patrick's Day. He sent me a text and was like, I want to help the song community. Like, what do we do? And I I said, well, let's start a GoFundMe and let's assemble a team. And it ended up um, becoming um, an organization. And, you know, we filed for our 501c3 charity status um, and it's, we've raised almost, you know, we're going to hit a million dollars here soon. So, um, we're just trying to get the money, um, give financial grants to people, you know, wine professionals that are out of work displaced because of COVID-19. Um, but also our, our mission isn't just for COVID-19 it's for, um, you know, circumstances beyond the, a person's control. So maybe that means a car accident, maybe that means a hurricane or a tornado, like took out their restaurant, you know, I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, maybe there's a fire like the one happening in Monterey right now. I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can help. And, um, I think that, the team that we had, we have a master of wine, like two master sommeliers on the board, um, multiple 40 under 40 wine enthusiasts now, there's like three of us. Um, and, you know, we have a big advisory board team that helps with fundraising and, you know, social media stuff. And um, it's been really wonderful. I feel like I'm making a difference, at least, you know, for some people. And it as, as a recipient awesome. of one of those grants, I can say that you are. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, it's just, you know, we, I want to give as much money as we possibly can. And it's like, in a, you know, raising money in a pandemic is no joke. Like the amount of emails that I had not answered was astounding to me. But also I understand, you know what I mean? And like, you know, maybe somebody doesn't want to donate because they think it'll be too little or something like that. And they, you know, um, but ultimately we've had so many people like partnering up and like, you know, doing profit shares, like even like Ryan Bailey at the Nomad. I don't know if you saw his like decanter uh, thing or he has a wine basket. It's really cool. Um, oh yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. His, uh, uh-huh. I did mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. So like, you know, people like that doing like profit shares, like it all adds up, you know, like randomly we got an email, Chris and I, we both responded the same way. Um, we got an email from Acker. Apparently there were some stragglers from one of our other auctions and we made $36,000 the other day. I was like, uh-huh. we're both like, where did that come from? That's crazy. You know, cause we kind of slowed down on like pushing really hard. I think we're kind of going to we're going to get this round out of money and then kind of hit it hard kind of next month. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's been um, amazing and changed my life for sure. Um, Even though, you know, my intention, like I, it's weird because like, it doesn't really like help me really anyway, personally, it just like feels really good to be able to help people. And it's like, I, and because it's like, I know all of you guys, you know, I just imagine like all the other cities in the United States, like I don't get to touch them necessarily, but like I, every time I read an essay or like have a submission, like I think about you guys and you know, what each of you mean to me and like how, I don't know. It feels weird though. I actually don't know most of the recipients, which is so, it's a strange feeling, you know, cause I'm like, wow, there's so many Psalms I've like never met before. You know, it just really showed me like how big the world of wine is in the U S. Yeah. And I think a lot of times successful people, are also very giving people. I, I forget where it was that I read something like this, but it's like, if you're not 
if you if you think you're working towards success so that later you can give and you're not giving the whole time, what makes you think once you have more that you're going to give anything? Yes. Then? Like you, have to, you have to create the the not even habit, but the if the intention has to be there even before you really have much to give. Yeah, I, I did this uh, that leadership program I was talking about. And um, actually, the wine course was created out of that program, like one of the higher level things where they would ask you to have like by when deadlines. And we had to create results in every part of our life. So it was like, not only were we going to kill it in our career, but it was also like, how are we going to be like a better partner or like spouse? How are we going to be better friends? How are you going to be, you know, better at managing your money? It was like all like completely holistic. And it was very difficult. It was like one of the most difficult times in my life. Um, but I, at that point I had started, this was when I was like 20, I think I was doing it since I was 20, but I was volunteering for this company called school on wheels. And we would go to like, um, I would have a student that was like, you know, five to 11 years old usually. And I would help them with their homework every week. And I would go to like these, um, like family, like shelters and I would meet with my one student. It was always like, you know, that thing. And I always did it on Mondays and it was always, you know, took a few hours. It was, I always had like two students normally like back to back and like, yeah, I think that, and I actually replaced it with tasting group. Um, cause mm -hmm. when I started doing tasting group, I knew that that was something that probably had more impact in that moment, like for, for you guys. And, um, yeah, but you're not going to start donating your time later like if you're it, honestly uh -huh. you have to completely shift that and i honestly believe that like donating one day a week to others like is no problem i feel like i, I donate a lot more time than that to be honest but like you do i i think that honestly if we all did a little bit our world would be so much better like it would be so much better you know and just people get into their thing about what they want and like their mm -hmm. their things but ultimately like when you're going out of your way and like helping other people, it really does come back. And like, it's, and I wouldn't want to wait for those things till later. Like it's better to like know people now. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool to be part of people's journeys, you know, because like I, I remember a couple, uh, they were bloggers. You probably know who I'm talking about. They were just like Instagram, like bloggers, which people kind of like, uh, like they, they're kind of snooty about them if they're not an actual like wine professional, but like over the past two and a half years, you know, they've like taken their exams, they've passed, like now they're wine directors and like ones in like sales and stuff. And just like people like grow and move. And like, if they have that tenacity, like I did, and I was into this advanced tasting group where people were like, eh, who are you? You know, uh -huh. and, you know, at first, uh, but when people are really tenacious, it's just like, give them a shot, man. Like there's, you're not going to lose anything because what I've learned from this tasting group is that the, the ones who are not that interested will just fall off. They don't they weed stay. Themselves out. They yeah. don't stay. Yeah. So there's no harm in me like allowing them to participate once because if they're not that into it, they're going to be a shit show and then I'm going to kick them out. Or if they're going to be like, you know, just lazy or uninterested and they're just like not going to want to do it again. Um, but there are people that really want to do it. And I feel like you never know until you're in it either. Mm -hmm. So like you have to like give people the opportunity. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Christy, thank you so much uh, for making those opportunities for people, for being so generous with your time today, but not just today, all the time. Uh, you really have kept the LA Psalm community feeling like a cohesive community where we see each other on a screen once a week or, you know, it, it's really been amazing. I, I appreciate everything you do. 
I'm always here for you, Ryan. You were one of the OGs. Like you were literally here like since the beginning. Ryan was part of the original like 10 people or something we started with. And now how many do you have on the email list? 300? 300. It's crazy. That's amazing. It's insane. Anyway, thank you so much, Ryan. Absolutely. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. I'll see you soon. Hi there, drink lovers. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I want to give you a heads up about what's in the pipeline here at the Drinkmakers Podcast. Next week, I'll be back and reunited with my co-host, Peter MacArthur. We'll be talking to Peter Johnson, a friend of ours from Chicago who works at Reinhold Distillery. He'll share with us what the early days of the pandemic were like for a small batch brandy distillery as they switched gears from producing spirits to making hand sanitizer for their community. We'll also get some perspective on the current state of craft distilling. Peter's a great guy with some keen insight into the world of spirits, and I hope you'll join us again for what's sure to be a great conversation. Finally, please like and subscribe to the Drinkmakers Podcast wherever you listen, and know you can follow us on Instagram at Drinkmakers Podcast for up-to-date info on all things Drinkmakers. Until next time, happy drinking.